Hello and welcome. I'm Michelle. And I'm Jessica. And this is Pretty Over Perfect. We are two former neighbors and current best friends who know that perfection is an illusion that could easily keep us from living our best lives. We are here to discover the goodness in the messiness of real life and find joy in the everyday by embracing simplicity, creativity, and a little sparkle. Hello, Jessica. Hi, Michelle. And welcome back to all of our listeners to another episode of Pretty Over Perfect. Michelle, I... I miss you. It's been a whole day since you were here with me. (laughs) I know. An entire day. We had the wonderful opportunity to hang out all weekend together. I flew down to Utah to visit Jessica for her 30th birthday. Yep. She helped me throw just the birthday party of my dreams. We had a few tables put together with a charcuterie down the center in the middle of a beautiful meadow in the mountains. It was pretty ideal and i couldn't have done it without you so i'd like to publicly thank you for being the best friend flying here and helping me carry out a dream you're the best it was (laughs) my pleasure it was so fun i mean you just had an amazing vision and you had all the stuff prepared so really i just like got to come yeah help you put on the finishing touches and it really was like such a magical setting even with the bagpipes okay yeah (laughs) that was hilarious we want to do an episode all about that We plan to talk about celebrating, throwing parties, and whatnot, so we will share some of those details in that episode, so stay tuned. Yes. But maybe we can share a picture or two until then. We'll put put it on Instagram because it was truly just so beautiful and fun, and we laughed all night in the mountains. To the bagpipes. To the bagpipes. There was a bagpipist. I was like, I have to say, I did not hire a bagpiper to come and play in the distance. It was like, yeah, anyway, he was there. They were, he, he was there. He or she was just there. I never saw them. You it was a man. Them. Okay. It was a man over standing. There was no one around him. He was just playing the bagpipes, practicing I mean, his instrument. Where else would I you know. go to play the bagpipes? But the <laughs> mountains, I suppose. <laughs> Well, on that note, today we are going to be discussing on the topic of parenting some practical tips on how we address hard behaviors as parents. We're in two different phases here of parenting. Um, I have a seven-year-old, five-year-old, almost three-year-old, and a three-month-old. So that's kind of my perspective I'll be sharing. And I'm in kind of just the next step up from you, Jess. I've got an almost 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old. So we will try to be sharing from those two different perspectives. And we asked you on Instagram if you had any questions specifically, like specific behaviors you wanted us to address. And we will do our best to tell you what we've done, what's worked for us in the past, and kind of our thought process just behind behind some of these things. Yeah. And we want to remind you, we're not professionals, but yes. we do know that we've learned a lot of these tips and tricks and techniques from other moms. So we just want to share our hearts and what's what's been good for us. And hopefully you can take away something that um, you might want to try or experiment with and and go from there. Yeah, I think it's just nice to hear some fresh perspectives or even recycled perspectives, just something that kind of gives you a little hope and lifts you out of the loops that sometimes we get stuck in as parents. So let let this be that perhaps for you. 
Yes, I know specifically for me, sometimes when I'm dealing with something over and over again, I just even can't look outside of the situation mm-hmm. long enough to think of what to try next. And so I love getting other perspectives from my husband, from other moms, parents I admire, anything like that. So we're trying to maybe offer a little a little outside perspective. Yeah. So I don't know. When you see a behavior, Michelle, that maybe you're not super thrilled with in one of your children. Are your kids going to be listening to this, by the way? <laughs> we can let them not <laughs> listen to this one. <laughs> okay. I shall speak openly, but I will not name, name, name names. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if you see behavior you're not excited about that you kind of want to correct, how do you approach implementing those new behaviors? Okay. I'm going to give the example that came up, that comes up with regularity in our house, which is just that we have morning chores we have to complete in order to get out the door. And there will be times when everybody's just on their game, gets up, does their chores, you know, has breakfast, and then we can move on with the day. And then there are times where we've just forgotten those things. So when I start to notice these things are falling apart, um, I like to in a separate moment, not in the contentious moment, like yelling at them, why aren't you doing your morning chores? Um, <laughs> but in a separate moment where everyone is calm and peaceful, reset the expectations. So whether starting a new behavior or cor- correcting an old pattern, I think the most important thing is to really set the expectations and make sure that first of all, they are reasonable for your child's age, ability, and temperament. What are they capable of? Have you taught them how to do it? For instance, I can't ask my child to make their bed if I've never taught them how, if I've never showed them how to pull up the blankets and arrange the pillows and everything like that. Um, so set the expectation and teach them how to do it. And um, then that's the first part. I have a second part, but we don't have to get to that yet because Jessica, I'm wondering what you do with behaviors you want to modify or start. Yeah, well, I think I like what you said. It reminds me of that sweet story about butter. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. How could I oh. have expected him how to know how to butter the toast because I'd never taught him? Yes. Right. that. I mean, I think a lot of this is born out of that moment where yeah. you realize you're, you are asking something of your child that they are not equipped to do either because they've never learned or they are not physically capable of it. Um, that kind of thing. So try to first modify, (laughs) make sure your expectations are reasonable and then that they are clearly set. Yeah. So I definitely agree with all of that. And I also think an important first step is to make sure that you're able to come from a place of love Mm -hmm. when the correction's happening. We talked in our last episode, how playfulness, lightheartedness, love, that is where learning takes place. And negative talk it's studies have shown that negative talk teaches a child to stay instead of grow and expand so if we can come from a place of love when we're trying to correct then we have some hope and it sounds it sounds a lot easier than i know it is to actually do but sometimes it means stepping back and creating space physically or also just time to let those hard emotions lessen. Mm -hmm. Um, So your perspective can be broadened and not just narrow when it is when you're in the heat of the moment. 
So I think making sure that you're coming from a place of love is totally key. Um, I also like to involve my children. Um, I try to have open conversations. If there's something they're doing that is not principally sound, from my opinion, I try to teach them the why um, whenever I can. Sometimes because I said so is appropriate, although I can't think of one off the top of my head. I know that there are some, but I think more often than, than not, we can teach our children the why behind the actions or the, the behavior we expect them to carry out. So those are two thoughts that I have here at the beginning of this episode. Totally. Yeah, I agree that when I'm saying that I'm setting the expectation ahead of time, I also go in with information as to why I'm setting this expectation. Mm -hmm. For instance, we're going to go back to the morning chores and say that at a separate time, usually our family meeting, which we're going to talk about, we're going to do one more episode kind of in this genre and talk about family culture, what we do during our family meetings, that kind of thing. But family meeting is a time like throughout the week, I'll be making notes. Okay, we we're going to talk about this at family meeting. And so when I say, you know, we need to be doing our morning chores, I talk about how we all play a role in making this home function. And, you know, in our particular case, I would say that like daddy works hard to make the money to buy the house we live in and I make dinner. So you have food to eat and your job is to set the table. And mm-hmm. we're working together. So we, we do talk a lot about that. Why? Sometimes even like you were saying, because I said so, <laughs> um, kind of makes me think of there have been many times as my children have gotten older, where I've said, I need us to live in a relatively clean house in order to function. <laughs> so mm-hmm. and I will say, this is what I need to be a good mom. And you can choose to do differently when you have your own house. So that's kind of like the my modern version of because I said so. Like mm-hmm. I said so because this is happening and this is the needs that we are like balancing. We're balancing not just the needs of the children, but also the adults that live here. And you are free to choose differently in the future. So um, kind of like a little bit of back and forth on on that. I don't know if that really makes sense, but it totally does. I love that. I think that when we do go there, then we give them a chance to actually expand their minds and become converted to these principles and to the the reasoning, Mm -hmm. which is definitely the only hope we have of them to turn out uh, implementing these things in the future. We're, We're fooling ourselves if we think that we can just simply tell them what to do and expect them to do it forever. Right. Someone asked us about a three-year-old who doesn't understand logic. They're just beginning to understand reasoning, you know, how to explain things to them. And I think starting even there, even when they're three and they really don't understand everything that's going on around them, talking it through with them, because you're building the little bricks, you're building the scaffolding that their house will be built upon. So you're telling them the little things now that you're going to be building upon their whole lives, you can't expect them to completely understand. But at the same time, I would encourage talking through it. And I think that talking through it is not just for them, it's also for you. Because I've noticed for me, sometimes when I talk through it with my child, I realize oh, wait, I am asking you to do something you're not capable of yet. So yeah. I need to adjust my expectations. Like yeah. that that processing can help me realize where 
maybe I'm putting a responsibility on their shoulders that is actually on mine or something like that. So I think that talking it through, no matter the age, it's good to be in the practice of it. And also it can help the adult make sure their expectations are reasonable. I love that. It's very true. And I do have a daughter who's two months away from being three, turning Mm -hmm. three. And so she's totally in this stage. And I'm like, don't have to strain very hard to think of a, a of an example from just today where this happens. And like you, Michelle, I think it's really important to, I, I like to talk to my three-year-old like she's a person. And yeah. while I don't go on this elaborate explanation, like today, as I was leading up to just a few months ago, <laughs> the example that came to mind was just a few hours ago, we were, uh, we were all loaded up. We loaded up our van with all of the mini scooters and we were going to set off to the path that's near our home to just enjoy the evening before bed. And when we pulled out of our driveway, we noticed that the the air was like super thick with smoke. So thick. It was very odd. We couldn't even see the mountains. So we had to we had to change our plans, which are which is really hard for a, a three year old, right? To, we're right. gonna go ride our scooter, and now we can't. And uh, she threw a little bit of a tantrum there, and I just kind of you know looked at her. Violet, did you want to ride your scooter? Yeah, I wanted to too. It was going to be so fun, but outside it's very smoky. Do you see the smoke outside? You know, and I just kind of went through it. And guess what? I had to I had to do that three or four times as we were driving back home, but. I, I was able to kind of keep her, her, I could see her wheels spinning in her mind. And mm-hmm. as I reiterated it, I think it did kind of sink in, but I was able yeah. to keep her emotions at bay after we, we did explain it. So I agree. I, I don't think we have to go into these elaborate explanations, but we do need to give them the respect as a human being to help them understand, especially when we do have to do hard things like change our plans last second, which mm-hmm. does happen in life. But it's very important for us to to exercise patience and um, give them that chance to learn. Even if it doesn't seem like it's sinking in or it takes four times. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have like so many times in our lives to model, you know, good thought processes, right? Like, and working through just even at a young age, and we're going to slowly build up to these more complex situations, but we're going to start when they're really little with that little situation and saying, I'm here to communicate with you. You are a person. I'm not just like your jailer. So Mm. this is why we are doing these things. And even if they can't totally grasp it, yeah, just trying to come through and offer them some information as age appropriate as is possible whenever possible and kind of invite them into our world where appropriate. And then also have grace for the times that they don't understand and they do throw fit, even though we've explained it because they can't understand. And something that came to mind, Jessica, is have you ever noticed like listening to a song as an adult that you realize is like a scandalous song and you <laughs> listen to it all the time when you were a kid and you never yeah, knew? totally. Right? Yes. And I was thinking of that as like that scaffolding. When you're an Mm -hmm. adult, you somehow you suddenly have all of the context and all of the clues and all of these adult experiences that now give you the information you need to understand this song that when you were a kid was just words and it was just a fun beat or whatever. And you were singing all these things that were like maybe not age appropriate for you, but you didn't understand them because you had none of the clues around them. And so 
when I think of our kids and the job I have of helping them build that scaffolding, I try to remember there's so much here that I know because I'm an adult that they don't know. And where I can, I'm going to take the opportunity to teach them and to invite them into this understanding, but also realize that there are just some things that they're going to pick up as they go along because, you know, a three-year-old might not be able (laughs) truly to get to grasp the um, consequences of smoke inhalation while riding their scooter, (laughs) you know, but like, it's still (laughs) your job as a parent to protect them. And so it's kind of this this dance that you're you're doing together you're working on together yep so just keep repeating the explanation if it's not sinking in yes. just kidding. <laughs> just keep saying it over and over again the other thing <laughs> i would say that i like to do here um is to make it a game somehow mm-hmm. um if you can you know and like re- this kind of goes along with redirection no we yeah. can't um we can't ride our scooters, but let's go home and paint or something like that. Um, or listen to this one. Can you yeah. spy something green? Yes, yes. That's Can a great one. Can you find a dog, right? Like mm-hmm. something immediate right there to get us yes, through that yes. little. Yeah, or like, let's turn on our favorite song and have a dance party in the car. Anything like that to get like the positive momentum going. I also really like this. Um I'd use this with my son, which I I got this from Ralphie at, what is her, Simply on Purpose. So just getting the positive momentum going, I think can be so helpful. So for instance, with my youngest son, I might ask him, it's time to go get your pajamas on for bed. He knows how to get his pajamas on. It's the expectation every single night. He's ready for this, but sometimes he drags his feet and whines and complains or just doesn't get going. And... I say, oh, I'm going to guess which color pajamas you're going to be wearing. And he says, I bet you can't guess. And he runs upstairs to put on his pajamas. And then he comes back down and he's like, did you guess it? Did you guess it? And I always say, oh, my gosh, I thought you were going to be wearing the Star Wars pajamas, but you're wearing the dinosaur pajamas. You beat me again. And... (laughs) He wins every time because every time, whatever pajamas, I have guessed the other ones and he's laughing and having fun and his pajamas are on like mission accomplished. We made it a little game. So whenever I can turn it into like a little game, a little something to get the positive momentum going and I don't need to lecture him about the importance of getting to bed early and getting a good night's sleep every night, you know, because we have talked about that in the past. So sometimes it's just a matter too of just getting just getting it going, just getting the wheels turning and getting kind of like unstuck from those from those moments and and continuing on in life. Yeah. So. And I want to point out, I love that example a lot. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out that while they're not remembering every little lecture, mini mm-hmm. lecture we're giving them, they're going to remember the feelings or we're building upon, we're trying to create this, this bond and this, this positive relationship. And I think that sometimes if we can kind of emphasize that even just to ourselves, when we're in these interesting situations, then, um, we do have motivation to play a game in that moment instead of, come on, I'm telling you, if you breathe in that smoke, you are going to cough like, Mm -hmm. and you know what I mean? So like just kind of emphasizing or focusing on building a positive relationship and having yeah. a positive feeling in the car when I'm driving around. Yeah. I also want to say that as you're talking about that pajama example, I feel 
a little bit of guilt because right now I'm kind of in what I would call a survival phase. You were yeah. just here. You got to witness it firsthand. Like I'm it's I'm in the thick of it right now, just adjusting with a new baby. And sometimes I forget about those little games. Sometimes yeah. I don't have the energy to remember or to even do something like that. And that's why I think these kinds of podcasts and books and things are, are helpful to just to kind of remind us. So if if at all throughout this episode you think, Ugh, I'm not doing that. I'm a horrible person. No, you're doing great. You're showing up. You're here listening to a podcast, hoping to become better. Let's use these these ideas as as little tools in our tool belt to pull out when we we need to change the momentum in any way. That's right. And first of all, I would just like to say you're doing a great job. <laughs> Your kids are happy and healthy and very loved. And I know it feels overwhelming, but you're really doing such a great job. And they're having a lot of fun, too. <laughs> so it's they're they're great. You're great. It's all going to be okay, even though right now is like a really hard season. And yeah, we have hard Thank seasons you. sometimes. So you're doing a mm-hmm. great job. And your kids are getting to bed, even if you're not always playing games to get them. <laughs> maybe I am yelling at them. Get your pajamas on. Maybe to tomorrow, though. Tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'll pull out that game. I maybe love that. So. So cute. Yeah. And so I also have older kids and um, talking about disappointment that this whole last year was an exercise in disappointment, things getting canceled that they wanted to do and school getting shut down and all kinds of they constantly got to deal with disappointment. And so we had the opportunity of modeling how we handle that. And it was a lot of conversations like, you're right. This is really sad. I'm really sad that we don't get to go to school anymore. Do you want to talk about that and what you're going to be missing? And then after we would talk about how sad we were, we would also find ways to make this time as good as possible. So yeah, school is shut down. We don't get to go to school. What's something fun we can do at home? What is something that we really enjoy about being at home that now we'll get to do that we didn't get to do when we were at school? And just letting them have their feelings. I'm not going to try to erase their feelings of sadness, but I'm also going to try to use my my magic power as a parent to help them learn to take difficult things and make the best of them because they're going to be facing disappointment and changes of plans and difficulties their whole lives. So I want to help them be proactive about facing those challenges head on as much as possible and taking whatever good there can come from those. Because we all know, sometimes it's not fun at all (laughs) to go through those very real, very difficult times. And sometimes there's no way out but through we just have to do the hard stuff. Yeah, I would be curious to know what your children would say. If you asked them what they learned this last year, as you did you were one of those that did homeschool an entire school year. Mm-hmm. And I really noticed, of course, how much effort you put into making that a good experience. And I would, I don't know, I'd be, I, what would you think they would say? What do you think they would say? What they learned? Um, I should ask learned. them. Well, the funny thing was, is that, well, I wouldn't say that they were ever upset about the idea of homeschooling, but they were very sad to not be at school with their friends. Of course. Yeah. And then, like I've mentioned, because our school district was doing remote learning at the beginning of the year. I just decided to homeschool them because I have three elementary students. And 
you know, it wasn't like all rainbows and sunshine, but I do think we had a lot of fun. I do think that we had the best year possible we could have had last year. And I think that they think that too. And in fact, they were kind of sad about the idea of going back to school. And were they? Well, Mm -hmm. just because, you know, we there were things that we really enjoyed. And we talked about like, oh, we get to enjoy this freedom of having slow mornings. And we get to have these little adventures that we get to go on and we get to pick what we're learning and all of these things. And so we tried to lean into what was good there. But then when I said we're going back to school, you know, there was some like sadness about what we'd be missing and also some fear about what was going to happen at school. Like, will my friends still be there? That kind of thing. And so it was another opportunity to be like, well, yeah, we're really excited to go back and learn and see our teachers that we've missed and maybe make new friends if some of the friends that we knew have moved away or have changed schools or whatever. And so it's a constant opportunity to to work on this. Mm-hmm. Even a couple of weeks ago, my middle son and daughter were, they were apprehensive about school just because I think that they were worried about what if their friends aren't there or what if things just feel different or whatever. But today, both of them told me, I can't wait to go back to school. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that as pow- as parents, we do have a lot of ability to set the tone of our home. Are we going to be complaining and miserable or are we going to do our best as much as possible to to lean into our seasons and then come away with whatever positives we can take? And like I'm saying this knowing full well <laughs> there are entire seasons where you might feel like there are no positives and it's like really hard <laughs> to – like your positive might be like this bed is comfortable that's the only thing good that's happening right Mm -hmm. yeah just like sometimes it's like so little and it can be really hard to focus on but i think we've talked a lot in the past on prioritizing that nourishing Mm -hmm. productive self-care which just put a little plug right there yeah for making sure that we do take care of ourselves so that we can do our best to create the right environment or culture or feeling in our home that we we think is conducive to learning and growing for our children. Okay. So, Jessica, let's Mm -hmm. talk about tantrums. Tantrums are... (laughs) Oh, they are hard ones. Would you like to... You're more in a tantrum phase than I am, so... I do throw a lot of tantrums. You're right. I'm in a tantrum (laughs) phase. (laughs) You know, yes. I want to oh, say gosh. just kidding, but I'm not. I'm not just kidding. I'm kind of there right now. No. Me and my almost three-year-old are in the same stage of life. <laughs> Growing painfully. I've never seen you throw a tantrum, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's the question? The question that we got about tantrums was specifically just for like a 16-month-old child just beginning sort of the tantrum phase what ideas do you have for redirection? How do you control your thoughts and impulses during a tantrum? Everything like that. Okay. In a moment where there's currently no children screaming at you, what do you think is the best way to handle tantrums, Jessica? <laughs> a lot of people say time out. Mm-hmm. And in this particular phase, I say time in. I I try to bring my child close Mm -hmm. I know that there are varying degrees of tantrums, but this is my goal. I want to be safe. I want to be, I want to be close to my child and I want to let them know that I'm there for them. Mm -hmm. I feel like the secret ingredient 
or the secret, not ingredients, the secret uh, method to tantrums is to get your child to say yes. So if my daughter is in the car and she does not want to put her seatbelt on, which is something that I struggle with. In fact, the minivan's great, but my goodness, I have to crawl back there and pull her out of the back seat almost every time. Mm, yeah, <sighs> It's rather frustrating. She just wants to sit in the back because that's where her brother and sister sit, but she's in the front. And um, so when she doesn't want to go there and she's throwing a tantrum, I say, do you want to go to Grammy's house? And she says, yes. Then I say, then let's get you buckled so that we can go to Grammy's house. Mm-hmm. And if she says, usually I feel like 18 months around there, that's like gold. It works, I swear, every time, at least for my children. Yeah. Um, here we're getting a little more sassy. We're realizing, she's realizing that she, you know, doesn't want to sit in her car seat still. So then I just keep trying. I keep saying, well, do you want to go play on Grammy's swing set? Yes. Okay. Then let's get in your buckle. Let's mm-hmm. let's get buckled up so we can go. And and I feel like that's really powerful. It makes me feel like I have a chance at making the situation diffuse when I that's my goal. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna make them say yes. It acknowledges them. It acknowledges what they're wanting and and you let them know that you're on their team. Yeah. And you work together and I, I, just, I feel like that's that's my go-to is to get them to say yes and to be safe. And when you were here, Michelle, there was, I think, one instance where her name's Violet. She's little. That's fine if I say her name. I said I wasn't going to say names, but Violet, I keep referring to her. Um, she was upset about something, probably wanted to go outside while I was nursing, and that's not safe in our situation. So she was screaming and screaming. I tried to comfort her. I tried to get her to say yes. She was flailing about. So I just carried her upstairs and zipped her into her crib tent and she fell asleep in about 30 seconds. Yeah. So sometimes we do need to have a designated place to put them so that they can, you know, hash it out, which is difficult. Hopefully there's um, a pacifier, a stuffed animal, a blanket that's comfortable there if, if mm-hmm. it's not going to work for you to cuddle them through the tantrum. <laughs> yeah. Like it often is not, I guess. But those are some of my the, t- the thoughts off of the top of my head. But that is a difficult age because they don't understand you all yeah. the way, like we were saying in the, the beginning there. Yeah. But Yeah. And my encouragement just being like, uh, you know, my five-year-old, he still throws what we could call tantrums sometimes. So um, I'm not totally out of that stage. But to remember that, like, this is totally a normal development. Um, I think it can be really shocking, especially when it's your first kid and they've been this sweet, wonderful mm-hmm. baby. And then all of mm-hmm. a sudden they just start screaming in the grocery store and you're like, what is happening? My child is broken. And, you know, especially when tantrums happen in public, they can just be like so embarrassing and just make like I know for me, they just make me want to die. And it's just it's not fun. So I would say another one of those times where you proactively are ready mentally for, okay, this is a normal part of development. They are finding their voice. They're finding out and like tantrums are really effective usually because they really get the attention of the adults in the room. So letting them know that you are a safe place, that you remain calm, and that you don't give in to whatever they t- they are tantruming about, you know, if, it, if it's in the grocery store. I don't know why everything's in the grocery store. I feel like 
Maybe that's just where well, all my blood pressure rises happen. just having you talk about tantrums in the grocery store. Yes. It, it's, it it's very hard. It's very hard. It's It can be mortifying, right? And they're there. You're trying to check out. It's already hectic. And then your child is screaming that they want the lollipop that's visible. So, no, you can't have the lollipop. We're about to go home for a snack. Can you help me unload the cart? Can I, you know, pick you up? I'm going to pick you up and maybe carry you to the car or whatever it is. And sometimes they're going mm-hmm. to scream and it's not going to be fun, but it will end. <laughs> and they won't, they will grow out of it, especially if you remain calm mm-hmm. and focused on your directive and don't give in to whatever they are demanding because a demand, like answering their demand in that moment for, let's say, the lollipop or whatever would encourage them to keep doing that behavior because it got results. And if you, like I've noticed real quick, if they only know they can tantrum like in front of other people and you'll give in, they will pick up on that really quickly. So remain calm, remind yourself, and maybe the other adults around you, if you need to, this is a normal phase of life. She's expressing expressing her emotions. We are going to go to the car now. You know, just That's right. Stay calm and it can be really difficult especially depending on what like your personal triggers are as a parent. I always like to put my shoulders back and my chin up and I smile. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've just decided. I'm so happy to be here. I am composed. Mm-hmm. This this is ridiculous, isn't it? But yeah. I'm okay. I've got this. Even if yeah. I don't think I've got this, and and sometimes the only answer is to carry your child. And I've left shopping carts before. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. We've done um, that It's too. just important to get them safe and get them out of the situation sometimes. And they yeah. are not reasonable. Also, I think it's very important to um, be careful about what you're saying no to and, what, and, and um, making sure that if they do tantrum, that you're okay standing behind that, that right. no. Yeah. 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 If you've said it, make sure that, yeah, you're willing to stick with it because... That's important. And um, yes, remembering it won't last forever. And <laughs> and that you are the adult and they are the child. It is okay for them to act that way because they are the child and they are learning. But you are still modeling the behavior that you want. And this brings me to role playing, which I have yes. discovered yes. as a wonderful teaching method. That when the tantrum is done and maybe some time has passed, we, depending on their age and their verbal ability, we rehash the situation a little bit. And um, like, I will say things to like in that situation, I would say, you wanted the lollipop. But I said, no lollipops, because we're going home for dinner. So when I say no, to something that you ask for in the grocery store, what do you say? And they might think for a little bit. And then you say, I, you say, okay, mommy, and then you say, can you practice? Mm-hmm. And then I say like, um, no lollipops because we're going home for dinner. And now you say, and then they say, okay, mommy. And like, we will practice it over and over again. I just used this the other day with my son. I was sending him off to grandma's house. Okay. When it's, when grandma says it's time to clean up the toys, what are you going to say? You're going to say, okay, grandma. And then you're going to start cleaning up toys. Can we practice? And like literally role-playing how are we going to do this? And I even use it for my nearly 12-year-old because um, she was having some difficulty finishing a job that she was assigned. And when I pointed out that it wasn't all the way done, she would fly into a rage and just 
say that somebody had like undone all the work that she had been doing. And it wasn't fair that I was asking her to do it in the first place. So we walked away from that moment and we said, okay, being corrected and, and learning to do a job fully, that's just a part of life. So when I come to you and say, it looks like you missed a spot sweeping instead of getting angry and mad and ruining the whole day with a bad attitude, what could you do instead? And then we usually go through a little role play and we do it even until she's laughing because it's so ridiculous and absurd that I've asked her so many times because I'll say, "Uh oh, looks like you missed a spot. And then you say, oh, whoops, I'll try again. Okay, let's try again. And like, we just do it over and over again until it becomes like, ridiculously, you know, funny, even it almost becomes a game. But then the next time we remember, oh, remember what we practiced. And that's part of the like teaching and setting expectations. And and sometimes you set expectations truthfully after the tantrum has started because you didn't know it was going to be a tantrum. Now you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You didn't know what a trigger was going to be. So I love that. Yeah, so we do a lot of role playing in a lot of different areas. And yeah, it's fun. It can be exhausting. I mean, mm-hmm. Michelle, I'm sure you have a <laughs> lot of other things you could be doing than telling your daughter, you know, what do we do? Let's do it again. Let's do it yeah. again. But in my mind, I go, I want them to learn this skill now instead of when they're on the job. Yes. You know, and they, they can't handle criticism. That's yeah. what motivates me to spend that energy in that moment. Yeah. Totally. And I really do feel like role playing is like gold. It's so, so impactful because you're out of that that emotion. You're on common ground. You're lighthearted about it, hopefully. Um, I've decided to weave this into our weekly family meetings, which again, yes, we'll talk about it later, but I feel like it's important enough to do on a regular basis and then mm-hmm. just plug in the scenarios that we're kind of running, the problems we're running into mm-hmm. uh, regularly. So role-playing is so big. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. And role playing, you know, we also got a question about a toddler hurting a newborn baby, which is another difficult phase because that toddler, I'm guessing, has just been usurped from their, well, (laughs) I guess even even if they weren't the first child, they have just been usurped from their position as the baby. And some children take that really hard. They really don't like losing the position of being the baby and being special and being held by mommy all the time. And so very normal. it's very normal and it will pass with time. They will adjust and they will, um, they, they will. <laughs> they'll be glad that you gave them a sibling. They will, they will be glad for that, but it <laughs> might take some time. Um, and so this would be a great way to role play with a baby doll and say, this is how we touch the baby. This is how we love the baby. This is how we snuggle the baby. And also, you know, with that, with that specific situation, also make sure that, you know, when the baby is napping or maybe mm-hmm. a little bit before the time that the baby's going to be eating, you make sure and read a book with the toddler or do something to love and snuggle them and make sure that they are getting a lot of hands-on time and then you know, firmly re- and then remind them, oh, it's, it's the baby's turn now and you need to play with your blocks right now or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'll play with you again. I'll play with minutes. you again in a few, few minutes. minutes I'm going to set a timer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You can speak to this because this is probably happening to you. Yeah. Well, there's been a little less jealousy, luckily, towards the baby. But today I did have an incident where um, my daughter was doing somersaults on the couch by me while I was nursing and she need the baby in the head. Oh, no. <laughs> and yeah, luckily it wasn't 
too intense, but I reacted pretty quickly and I moved her like pretty like, I guess, harshly away. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. I was in mama bear mode and she looked at me and said, you hurt my leg. And, and I had to, pull, had to apologize and let her know that we do somersaults on the ground and all of that. But I, I do find that when I am having issues with sharing mommy mm-hmm. with whatever age, when I do have that alone time with them, that one-on-one time, it dissolves. Most of it, I think, yeah. dissolves. So that's a great antidote to that. I, I like your suggestions. But it is tricky. It's hard, especially when the toddler is so young and... They don't quite understand what's going on and you want to make sure that they're feeling love and it's easy to feel guilty in that moment. But I think it's really important to remember that this is normal and you're giving them a built-in best friend. Yes. Hopefully. And, and it'll be, it'll be temporary. Yeah. And that brings me to just a, I, we might talk about this more on family culture, but if you are struggling, I mean, even if you're not struggling with a child, but having with a specific child, but having a built in time where you are going to have one on one time with them of some kind, in a way that fits in your schedule, if they're really little, it might be for 10 minutes every single day, if they're older and going to school, it might be a more dedicated time once a week, whatever it's going to be, make sure that you don't skip those times of connection, because they will bring you back into harmony, just as you're saying like that, Mm -hmm. you know, the jealousy dissolves, the the tantrums get less, I think, when a child sees yeah. really heard, mm-hmm. when they feel really heard and seen, and when they know they have mommy all to themselves for some amount of time. And really, like, you might only be giving them five minutes. Yeah. If that's all that you that works for you, that's okay, just as long as you don't skip it. And it can be really hard because there are times when you might be so frustrated or so hurt by their behavior that Mm -hmm. you don't want to be with them because that's a real emotion that I've felt and I don't want to have alone time because I'm so upset and sticking to my plan (laughs) to spend alone time with them always engenders good feelings from me and from them and sets us on a positive track again getting that positive momentum going this like oh we do love each other we do like being a family Mm -hmm. we do Mm -hmm. want to make this relationship work. Getting that positive, those positive juices flowing is really important. So don't skip out on those moments of connection, even though it can be super tempting too, especially if you're, you know, too busy or too tired or too upset at them. Right. And maybe you do need to take a a six minute timeout for yourself before you engage again. That's fine. But I think that it does need to be a priority. Mm -hmm. And I, I similarly, I try to have one special moment a day, one special moment of connection. I guess special makes it sound like it's supposed to be like special, but really I just mean connect with them. Mm -hmm. Distraction free. That's, I think that's just a really big contributor to a good relationship. Yeah. Okay, so another question we got was about whining, sassiness, being really upset when asked to do a simple thing, which we've, we've talked a little bit about that. But do you have any other specific tips you would give for, again, just kind of getting getting things flowing in a good direction when yeah. there's just a lot of whining going on? Yeah, well, I could speak. Let me speak to the whining for just a second. When there is a behavior like whining that we are not super cool with, 
it's important to f- to look at the skill that they are lacking that causes them to be whining. Like in this for with with the example of whining it could be um waiting. They're not able to wait. They haven't learned the skill of being patient. We can then look at that skill and and work on implementing it because we've lined it out and I think it's important to involve them. I've heard of people having sign language. So if there's whining going on, I don't know what the sign language is. I think W is three fingers <laughs> by their ear. So they put like the W sign language. <laughs> How did you explain that? <laughs> it could be any sign. Let's be real. A sign that both of you understand as whining, like mm-hmm. you're whining, please stop. You've had this conversation before the moment. Then we can teach them to be patient you know, along, along the, the way. Does that make sense? I don't know if that came out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, my tactic too is, well, yeah, in in that specific situation where you're waiting, is there some like go-to little word games you can have in your pocket or little, you know, if they're really little maybe, and you're waiting and it's really hard to wait, uh, can we do wheels on the bus? If they're a little older, Mm -hmm. can you play a word game like, 20 questions or would you rather or something like that to just to help them learn what they can be doing with themselves in this waiting time because it is a skill that they have to learn they have to learn how to wait mm-hmm. uh, how, how, yeah. yes how to wait i was like they have to learn like how to that wine idea. that's not wrong that's <laughs> they wrong. actually don't they just come with it somehow <laughs> yeah also with this for our family we really love a good sticker chart it is mm-hmm. one of our favorite things. And in fact, whenever there's just a behavior like whining or like anything <laughs> that's going on, whenever I'm just like, oh, we're just, we just can't get past this. My husband yeah. always says, it's time to bring out the big guns. And yeah. it always like confuses me for a second because I'm like, what? And he's like, the sticker chart. And Steve, <laughs> so smart. The sticker chart. And I'm like, yes, the sticker chart. So let me talk you through the sticker chart a little bit because it actually can take on different forms so you have to do what is best for your child and their age and their ability to grasp reward and consequence um when they are really little you might be trying to earn three stickers throughout the day by doing what mommy asked right away or something like that and then at the end of the day it's worth a prize maybe that prize is three chocolate chips, or something very simple. Start simple. As my kids get older, the prizes can be, you know, they can work on them a little bit more. So right now my son has a sticker chart and he's trying to get 20 stickers that he can turn in for a teeny, teeny, tiny packet of Legos that's worth a couple of dollars. But that takes him about a week to earn those 20 stickers. That's his ability to grasp the situation. And so we've like, talked about what he wants to earn. He wants to earn this little Lego pack because as you know, he's very into Legos. And so how can he earn that? Oh, well, he can make his bed every morning, get dressed every morning and help his siblings unload the dishwasher. And that's three stickers. And then there will be different things where he'll be like, oh, it's kind of fun because it's helping his, he's becoming aware of like how his behavior affects other people. And he'll say, oh, I was really helpful in the grocery store, wasn't I? I bet that's worth a sticker. (laughs) And he'll go put it like, and I'll be like, oh, it sure was. And he'll go put a sticker on his sticker chart. And he's working to earn that. I mean, a few times it has backfired, like the other day where he was like, what can I do to earn a sticker? And I was like, 
well, nothing except stop asking me about the stickers because he kept asking about <laughs> stickers because he was really excited to earn his prize. But we've done this in a couple ways too, like getting positive momentum going as far as like not whining when asked to do something. Uh, we also did a jar of warm fuzzies and we got these tiny little colorful balls of, I don't know, you have some in your backyard, Jessica, but I don't know what they're called. They're just like little yep, puffy balls. Uh, mm-hmm. We call yeah. them warm fuzzies as well. Pom-poms? Yes. Pom-poms. Pom-poms. They're normal pom-poms. people call them? Yes. You can get them from Michael's or whatever. And we had a jar of them. And uh, when we were just getting started with like the morning routines or Saturday chores, or we can use them totally for, you know, when, when kids are doing a really good job working together and sharing toys and stuff like that, those are like worth warm fuzzies. And so we've used it as a whole family to be like, everyone's contributing to the warm fuzzy jar and we want to fill up the jar at the end of the week and then we'll go get milkshakes all together as a family. So we've used that to definitely be catered to the situation we are at in life. Um, I like to bring out the warm fuzzies like right when summer starts and everyone comes home from school and everyone's like bickering and at each other's throats and ta-da, here comes the warm fuzzy jar. We are going to be remembering how we want to all work together on this common goal of getting to go get milkshakes on Friday. And so, you know, I can just really help get unstuck. Yeah. But you do have to put some forethought in it because if you ask them to do something that's just beyond their ability or their ability to wait based on your child's temperament and stuff like that, then it might, might backfire or or cause various problems and that kind of thing. Yeah. I love those ideas. I think it's important to stay state at this point that you have to change it up pretty frequently or don't be surprised when you implement some kind of reward system like this, that maybe after a month or so it fades or even less or maybe more. Oh, yeah. So this it's jar it's, comes in and out. You know, don't it's be not startled. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be startled if this if this is not working for the next 10 years straight. But I think it's so empowering to mm-hmm. have some of these ideas in your pocket to bring out some things yeah. that we've done in the same light. Warm fuzzies was first on my list. That's so impactful. Mm-hmm. And I love it because everybody's working together. Yeah. Um, it creates all sorts of happy feelings. We warm do fuzzies. warm, fuzzy feelings. So true. Hence the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do the mom store, which I just got a bunch of tickets. I've even cut up construction papers to be tickets and they are rewarded for whatever behavior we're working on. And every Friday I bring out a little basket full of dollar store items, which I don't love to have dollar store items all around my house. So they don't last super long, but that's fine because it serves the purpose of them exchanging these tickets for a prize. We do a special movie night. Okay, everybody, if we can all do our daily five morning routine items every day this week, then we're going to have a special movie night with pizza and brownies and make it a big deal. Um, it can be anything. And I want to talk about right here, the idea about extrinsic rewards. Um, I had a problem with that for a long time. I remember my my cousin, she's like, how do you feel about rewarding your children for making their bed? And I, my answer was literally, I don't feel like that's appropriate. They should make their bed mm-hmm. without a reward. Because when they're an adult, they're not going to get a pat on the back for making their bed. But of course, over time and experience, I've learned that it's important to implement some extrinsic rewards when they're learning because 
they don't come excited about making their bed. We have to teach them how to um, implement some of these things and motivate them somehow. So by doing this, my hope is that over time, they learn how it feels to have a bed that's made mm-hmm. or how it feels to be showered yeah. and how good it feels to have the house be clean and eventually prefer that because they've reaped the benefits of that action. So while I don't think we should be giving warm fuzzies to our 25-year-olds for whatever they're doing, I um, I think that it has a place here in learning and growing and I don't think they have to be elaborate rewards, like you're saying, chocolate chips. I love it when chocolate chips work. Yeah. <laughs> but but something, even praise, right? Yeah. That's a huge one that we underestimate, just right. praising. Sometimes it doesn't work for everything. Sometimes right. praise is not quite enough, but um, we can't underestimate that. One last idea that just came to my mind is for our Saturday chores, because it was just me with my children, because my husband's been in school and working on Saturdays, I would um, write down every job that needed to be completed, cut it out, like cut each job out on a strip of paper, fold them up and put it in a bowl. And one of us would pull it out and we would do it together and then get the chocolate chip. Like (laughs) that was golden. Now that isn't quite enough for them. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Figure out what works for your family. Start low because you're going to be doing this, but, but it, again, it's not that it's just that getting things unstuck, getting them unstuck from the mud of life and just getting some momentum going and looking for the good, praising the good, being excited about the good and focusing on that. And sometimes too, when our kids whine about doing that chore, we just say, well, thank you so much for doing it. And Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't always address the whining because but we're praising the good that they did do. And we're saying, well, I'm glad you did it anyways. You know, thank you. Thank you for doing it anyways. Thank you for contributing yeah. to our family, that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah sometimes just that. getting unstuck and then looking for the good where it is, even if it's not immediate, you know, because they throw it, yeah. you know, maybe they stomp off to go do what you asked them to do. Ignoring the stomping and saying, well, thank you so much for going. <laughs> and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, one last reward system I will tell you about because my children would be remiss if I did not mention it. Dragon dollars. Dragon dollars? What <laughs> dragon is this? dollars. During homeschool, we in- implemented a dragon dollar system where we could earn, they could earn dragon dollars. <laughs> they are dollars worth 10 cents a dollar. <laughs> A dragon dollars worth 10 cents of human dollars for reference. But they wanted to, I just set that in my mind. At first, they didn't even know that. But they wanted to work towards little prizes. They could, because we were homeschooling, if they did above and beyond work that was not assigned to them, like if they did extra worksheets or if they wanted to work harder and work more in one subject than in another. They could earn dragon dollars. They could earn dragon dollars for working hard in our morning PE routines. Um, just different things like that. Like we set, again, some expectations of this is how you can earn it. And then they got excited about about earning it. You know, one of my daughters wanted to write some um, historical fiction as like an, an addition to her assignments and she wanted to earn some dragon dollars for it. And it was fun for them too, because I don't just buy them anything they want from the store whenever, but they got to have some power of 
getting to choose some things that they wanted to work towards, some prizes that they wanted to work towards, and then they would save all their dragon dollars. And so we're also teaching them a little bit about money and saving and working towards things that you want and uh, putting that all together in the form of dragon dollars. And again, that's another system that we like used for all of the homeschooling year because it worked and it made sense with that. But it's not really going to like continue on into our lives necessarily. We're going to figure out something else because because there's going to be a different need at a different time. Yeah. So that's okay. And it served its purpose. And yeah, that's super fun. I want a dragon dollar. I know. They love it. Actually, they... I'd rather have a real dollar, I guess, but it's really cool. It's a really good idea. <laughs> they, I actually, like, <laughs> designed them all. They're all cute and fun. I figured. I figured you would. You should show us a picture of a dragon dollar. Dragon dollars. Okay. Well, we could talk about this for so much longer, but let's try to wrap it up pretty quickly with two last things. We're going to call them child rage and mom rage, because those are two things that we struggle with. So... What do we do when our child is hitting, stealing toys, anything that's like really hurting other children? How do you address those kinds of behaviors? Yeah, those are tricky and very real. And you're very normal if you experience them. And so is your child. I had a child that was particularly possessive of his toys. And it was a not a good situation when when friends would come over and play with them because I like to think of children's toys as an ex as they I think that they view their toys as an extension of themselves and so when a child comes and plays with a toy that they see as theirs it can cause quite a reaction inside of them because they feel that their personal belongings are are being attacked or potentially stolen and mm-hmm. and in in the case of my child's it became serious. So I try to be really gracious towards my child and also the child that is being, I don't know how to say this. Assaulted. Toys. <laughs> Assaulted. It sounded so, that was the word in my mind, but it sounded so serious. Okay. Um, just a step down from that. One. Yes. A child, the child version. Anyway, I try to be gracious towards both parties there because mm-hmm. it's not my son's fault for feeling so strongly about his property being used and also mm-hmm. poor child who's over here. So I've just, I just decided when my child does have that tendency to, to play on a common ground at a common area, like a park, grass in the front yeah. yard, go for a bike ride, be, just leave all of that, the toys out of the equation. That was yeah. kind of the only answer there for a while. Um, I can talk all day about how that's not nice to throw things. We don't throw hard things, although Mm -hmm. I'd probably phrase it. Hard toys are supposed to stay on the ground. He doesn't get it. It's the feelings that he has are so strong that he would just keep throwing the toys at the other kid. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how we deal with the toy situation. I don't know if you have anything else to say on that. Yeah, again like how we talked about last uh, our last parenting episode discipline being disciplined enough to avoid situations you can't avoid forever like you your child is going to need to learn how to share toys but there might be they might not be ready for it quite yet and depending yeah, on their sure. temperament you might be like no we're going to meet at the park with our friends and we're going to wait for a little while and then we'll try this again in a couple mm-hmm. of months and we'll role play we'll role play in the meantime yeah. and keep talking through yeah. it and working on it yeah, and a reminder too that ch- that toddlers specifically are egocentric, meaning that they are the center of their universe. And so they 
like mentally almost can't discern other people's humanness. They don't mm-hmm. see the other person as another person. They see the other person as a part of their world. And that is a very normal part of child development. And it is our job to scaffold them out of that. So both are true. They're not broken or anything like that, but it's just a part of how their brain works. And so we have to open up their brain to the fact that this is another person. And so as much as we can use as much as possible, I try to use language that is like, um, oh, Sarah is really hurt because you hit her. She's crying. She's sad. Hitting hurts. That kind of language that shows that the other person is a person or they really love that toy. Um, they don't want to share it with you right now. Or, you know, another way of being preemptive is um, taking really special toys and saying, you can collect your special toys and put them in this box and we will put this box mm-hmm. up high and it won't be a part of this play group, you know, but we're going to practice sharing these toys, even though I know they're your special toys, like some preparation and some empathy. For and, sure. and this is a lot of times mm-hmm. where we talk about like, oh, do you remember when you went to Harrison's house and he shared his really special drum set with you and you loved playing with it? Yeah, that was really special and really nice. So can is there a toy that you can share with Harrison when he comes over? Oh, you'd love to share your teddy bear? That's wonderful. We can practice with that and we'll put the really special yeah. toys away. And you know, I yeah. even use this with like my older kids when they come home and they say, Oh my gosh, my friend said something so mean to me today. And I, you know, and so, okay, let's talk about it. Well, that, that really hurt. That really hurt your feelings. Um, have you ever said something that you later regretted? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. Have you ever lashed out in anger or frustration and said something really mean, even though that's not what you intended to say? And they're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And now we know how much it hurts to feel, to, to receive that. So what can we do going forward? Okay. So we can forgive the friend who said this mean thing. And we can also remember how badly it hurts and try to avoid saying it ourselves in the future. So just kind of talking through both sides, like expanding the humanity of both your child and the other children involved. I love that. Yeah. Good thoughts. Not to go back too far, but I did think of a couple things that I did with my s- child. Now mm-hmm. everybody knows who it is. <laughs> my son. I did get several board books, picture books to read with him regularly about sharing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was helpful. He yeah. looks at it, looks at this childlike presentation of these scenarios and it sinks in a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I do remember one thing. I got so frustrated that he would keep hurting other children when he was playing with them he hit a kid on the head with a hammer once a toy hammer oh my god okay i'm glad toy hammer (laughs) plastic light toy hammer i picked it up and bopped him on the head and i said does that feel very good (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know that that was the right thing to do but i don't know help them understand how it feels to be (laughs) yeah that was mostly a joke bringing that up just to clarify but yeah you know yeah, my five-year-old, the one who loves Legos, he can sometimes get very upset when people come to play with his Legos slash steal them from him, and he will get really angry, and he will try to scrape the person and say... Scrape? Scrapes oh them. Scraping is his <laughs> weapon of choice. <laughs> and so when we started realizing this, I was like, 
you know, well, we can't scrape people. So there's so many things involved with all of these things. And one of them is that, Mm -hmm. you know, the level of their verbal processing and talking them through how can you talk through these situations, but sometimes there can be real power dynamics at play. Like if there's an older sibling who is, I don't, I don't want to say praying because that's such a that's such violent language, um, you know, but they're using their power advantage as the older, bigger sibling to, you know, take something from the smaller, younger sibling or whatever. And then the younger sibling gets so mad and so frustrated and doesn't have the words to say and they lash out in more physical ways, yeah. hitting or scraping. And so I try to really address both of those things as much as possible. You can't take advantage of the fact that he is smaller than you to take away his stuff. And you, what words can we give you to work out the situation? But with my son specifically and the scraping, uh, he would try to scrape people. So we, so in a separate calm moment, I set the clear expectation. Scraping is not okay. It hurts the other person. It doesn't, it doesn't feel good and we don't want to hurt other people. So if you scrape someone again, your nails are going to get clipped short. And like, I'm not talking about like, so short they bleed or anything like that but your nails are going to be ripped off (laughs) no no (laughs) but for him specifically yeah he doesn't like that because he likes his nails to be long because it helps him pick up pull apart the legos so he really hates (laughs) everything this is so funny i know his whole world revolves around legos but i'm giving you this example because hopefully it will trigger an example in your life with your kid whatever they Mm -hmm. love and i'm not saying take away what they love but when I say I have to clip your nails because you you scraped your sister, that is suddenly like, well, first of all, it's a real world consequence because it goes exactly yeah. with what he did. He scraped, but it's also like a consequence that very much affects him because he wants <laughs> long nails to pull apart his Legos, which as I'm saying, this sounds so silly. But, you know, we'll be, I'll be sitting there, you know, clipping his nails and I'm really sad that you hurt your sister. She, look, she has a scrape on her arm and it hurts so bad and, and... And now we have to clip your nails, which sounds, it sounds like I'm torturing him in some way. But, you know, we like talk through that whole thing. And for him, that's like the thing that like yeah. really sticks in his mind. And when I see things getting a little bit heated, I remind the older child, you may not, you know, steal his Legos if he's working on something. Yeah. And hello, little Lego lover. Don't forget that if you, you know, if you scrape someone, your nails are going to get clipped. And he's like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Not, not the nails. nail clippers. And so, so that has just thinking about what matters to your child and how to communicate to them in a way that makes sense for them is, is important. And using experiences that happen in their life to try to acknowledge other people's humanity and their own humanity and also the fact that the world has consequences and <laughs> all of those things i mean there's yeah there's so many layers so many things yeah there are yeah. a lot of layers let's address the rage okay i'm gonna ask you this. this question there's two sides of this question and there's one that you're better at answering and one that i'm better at answering so okay. jessica okay. how yes. do you stay positive when you are at the end of your parenting rope how do you keep the positive parenting going? Because I, I lock d- myself in my room. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. The end of the rope. So this happens to me probably daily. It's a very intense phase that I'm in right now. And I just, quite frankly and simply, I don't like the feeling. Yeah. At the end of the day, I've talked about this when I lay in bed and I recount the day. Mm-hmm. I don't like the feeling that... Yeah comes to me when I have 
should I admit one of my recent moments? Sure, because I, I like spilled my guts in the last one. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> the butter. I'd like story. to say this is not as common, but lately it kind of is. I was just so frustrated. I had finally gotten the baby asleep mm-hmm. so that we could run an errand. At that moment that he falls asleep, all of the other kids are fighting over a water bottle and screaming, and they wake the baby up. And so that just totally, totally gets me off my rocker. And I took the water bottle, I squoze it all dramatically, and I threw it against the window, and I said, I cannot believe you would wake your brother up. Okay? So that's maybe not my prettiest parenting moment. Mm Mm-hmm. But I did apologize for it. I really am a big believer in that. That's the that's the uh, medicine, of mm-hmm. course, is apologizing. And when I went to bed last night, I didn't feel so great about that exchange. And it does add motivation to me the next day and beyond to try to elevate my thoughts above my emotion, doing whatever I have to to distract me from some of that sometimes painful overwhelm overstimulation, overtouched, over everything. Over <laughs> it. <laughs> over it. I have, I think I've practiced this a lot too. Most often I can turn on a podcast, a kid's podcast in the car to distract them, mm-hmm. to engage them and give me a moment of peace or to tell them it's, it's now mommy time. You need to go and play Legos and I'm serious. Mm-hmm. I'm going to close this door and you guys go downstairs and play Legos. Yeah. I, re- I think space is a big one for me. Yeah. That was kind of a long, long answer to just say that much, but, but space is important. And trying again is important. And we will all get to the end of our rope time and time again. And mm-hmm. we'll just keep learning and growing. Yeah. And I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, with mom rage, staying positive, all of those things. I mean, yeah, there are just times when you, you're a person and you've had enough. I mean, and there, and sometimes a certain level of expressing your disappointment, I think is appropriate because it shows what maybe just don't throw the water bottle against the window. (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, maybe just like expressing without the dramatic yeah addition like you know i do tell my children that really hurt me i'm really frustrated i'm really sad like try to verbalize the exact same things i am trying to get them to verbalize right and like i'm trying to get them to use their words i'm going to use my words you're really hurting me so i'm going to go in this other room and lock the door so you can't be in there yeah that's Um, good you are really frustrating me because you just woke up the baby and that was it was really hard for me to get him to sleep so i'm going to go upstairs and put him back to bed you know, and you're going to calm down over here. Or, you know, there today in the car, I said, there is no talking allowed in this car until we get home. I will turn on the radio. You may listen to the radio, but you may not talk. <laughs> you know, those mm-hmm. kinds, like there are some moments. Um, also, especially when my kids were really little, having a schedule like that included quiet time, even if they didn't nap, that included some time where we all got space away from each other was critical for my game changer ability to get through the day because sometimes i would be literally counting down the minutes until that moment mm-hmm. you know and then and then you have another little stint until bedtime so having a really consistent framework that you work within so that you know when the breaks are coming i think can be 
really helpful. At least it was helpful for me. Of course, I will say what I heard from my pediatrician long ago. If you ever think you are going to hurt your child, put them down in a safe place and walk away. For sure, don't stay in that moment where you are afraid that you would hurt your child. And I mean, I know that I've had those feelings. I don't know if you have, Jessica, but um, I had babies that cried and cried and cried until I thought I would lose my mind. And so there were times where I just had to put them down in their crib, still crying and walk away and cry my eyes out or scream into a pillow or whatever, and then come back and try again. Um, But definitely walk away as much as possible. And, you know, there are still times when, let's say I have a surly preteen who talks back to me and it just makes me very, very angry. And I want to fly off the handle (laughs) at them um, as much as possible. I try to remain calm. I'm not always perfect at this. My husband will tell you that I can sometimes get in a very angry lecture mode. But there are also times when I just have to like, walk away and like close the door and like, yeah, like that voiceless scream. I don't know if you ever do that, but that like rage, voiceless rage scream to just let Uh, out all the emotions. (laughs) Could you demonstrate? No, just kidding. No. (laughs) Um, Whatever it is that you do to just like, yeah, we all have bad feelings sometimes. That's a normal part of being human. The way humans function in society is that they learn to put their bad feelings aside and not take them out on other people. And so we're still learning that as adults and we're modeling that for our children. So, oh my gosh, it's so hard. Just the other day I had to go into a room and silently rage scream. My (laughs) child refused to, you know, because they flew into a rage because I, heaven forbid, ask them to sweep up the whatever, the very obvious (laughs) thing on the floor. Um, So we all get to the end of our ropes and we're all going to keep showing up. That's right. And that's really hard. Just as we wrap up, I want to share a little thought. My dear friend visited me recently, gifted me a beautiful piece of artwork. It's a pencil drawing. It's of a woman sitting on the edge of her bed with her hair up in a messy bun and a child wrapped around her. It's drawn. So you can see the uh, woman's back and the child's legs are like, are wrapped around her back and the child's arms around her neck and his little head is against her shoulder. It's titled bathed in purpose. And that title just Mm. touches me to the very core. And it serves as a reminder to me that as a mom, I'm doing important work here within the walls of my home. My purpose with these children is to hold their tiny bodies as they first enter the world. Also hold their almost too heavy bodies as they grow a little more and still kind of want to be held. Yeah. (laughs) To hold their hands like today, literally, as I walked my first grader Mm -hmm. to the first day of school. Mm. And... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get emotional. It's okay. I was not even emotional right now. But it was a big day. First grade. It was an exciting day and kind of a sad day. Yeah. Um and then as they grow up a little bit more, we hold their hands figuratively. And our job is to show them what it means to mess up and fix it. We are um here to show them how to be respectful and forgive others. We're teaching them to look outside of themselves. And in my home, in my family, I'm trying to teach them to look to God. 
Mm-hmm. And when we remember the purpose that is so special and so uniquely ours, our perspective can broaden and we can we can nurture and teach with love. Yeah. And I want to share this picture at some point because it's just beautiful. If you're a mom, that title bathed in purpose just is such a special reminder of our of our responsibilities. So Yeah. And I love it. It reminds me to a lot of the conversation that we had this weekend, you and I together in person was around like, these are really hard. They're, they're really hard parts of these days of, you know, just being in the thick of it with our kids. And it, you know, we are spent to our core, but we are laying the foundation for them to have good lives and for the both of us to have a good relationship that we will get to enjoy the rest of our lives. And yeah, those there are really good things ahead when we put in the good work now. And it can be yeah. like exhausting and tiring. But as we remember what our purpose is, and yeah, and stick to it. I mean, a, there's no way out but through. There are just there are big things that we're handling and we are equipped to handle them. And we can do it. And just remind, right. remembering all of that. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Sometimes you need to put it on a sticky note or a million sticky notes all over your house. To sticky remember. notes. The sticky, sticky notes. notes. Yeah. Keep Find trying friends. new things. This yep. is another thing where community is so important. Find friends who encourage you, who you can ask for. You can ask questions about how they handle situations. All of these things are vital to survival. Again, you were not meant, none of us were meant to parent alone. So find your tribe, find your community to parent alongside and just get feedback from other people, be bouncing off ideas. These are the things that make it a lot easier because certainly doing it alone only makes it harder. Yeah. And if you don't feel like, I don't know who my friends are. I don't know who my people are. We'll be your people. We will. We'll be your people. And honest, and again, like, reach out. If you feel like you don't have people yeah. reach out to us. We'll be your people. Reach out to someone you admire in your community. I did just that today. Mm-hmm. Um, right. My child is headed into middle school and I don't know a lot of people who ha- have kids older than mine. And so, but I really admire her and I really admire her children. And so I reached out to her and I said, I would love to have you over and I would love for you to give me your advice on middle school. And it was just so refreshing to be assured that we're doing our best and there are going to be some challenges ahead, but we're equipped for the journey. And so um, finding finding people, reaching out, looking for mentors, especially if you can find someone that you really admire, that you can be with in person, at least some of the time. Those are really Absolutely. good, really good people to example. have. So, yeah. and be the one who's vulnerable and who asks. I know that this is going long, so um, I'm just going to... It's because we had so much we wanted to yeah. say, and then questions that you guys had that we wanted to to pour our hearts into as well. So I'm just going to wrap up by giving you the bullet points to take away, hopefully, from this, which is that when we are working on behaviors, whether they're new or we're wanting to change old behaviors, we set reasonable expectations ahead of time. Then we model with our behavior what is good behavior (laughs) so that our children know what to expect. And then role-playing is a really great way to 
show how we expect things to go in the future. And we definitely model empathy for our child and for the other children and for ourselves and help our children expand their world by seeing the humanness of others. And finally, we see how we could get the positive momentum going. Could we make it a game? Could we offer some kind of extrinsic reward just to get things going? And so that everyone can start feeling good about the changes that we're making. So those are our final bullet points that hopefully we've threaded through this episode. And on that note, we just want to tell each of you moms out there that you're magic. We were made for this. It's hard. It's strenuous and constant at times. But as we keep showing up and doing our best and giving our children our best in the those hard moments and in the good moments, then we believe we will end with a very strong and mutually fulfilling relationship with each of our children. So you got this. Keep going. Yes. Reach out to us on Instagram if there is anything particularly helpful in this episode or anything that we missed that you'd love for us to bring up in the future or anything like that. We'd love to hear from you. We are at Pretty Over Perfect. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Bye.